0: and encouragement and uh thank you church it is a joy again to be your pastor and a little over three months in being here um you you guys have accepted us and uh have loved us well and we're still growing and uh, we're going to continue to grow and knowing one another and getting to uh serve together as a joy and so i thank you uh, very much for how you've done that already and just this day um Uh, thankful for Pastor Appreciation um, Day. I think October is a Pastor Appreciation Month and so just thank you for all the cards and texts and comments and uh, everything you've done uh, for us. We we surely appreciate that and know that um, know that our our, uh, all of our desire when I say all, I think the church, our desire is to honor the Lord, yeah. to yeah. glorify him together. Amen? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's what we want to seek to do. Right. And so, thank you. Um, I do want you to be in prayer this morning for a few folks. I just wanted to make mention pray for our brother Keaton. He is preaching at Trinity Baptist Church. Uh, and many of you know that's where Jared Johnson is now, um, uh, pastoring. And so. You make sure to text Jared. I think he's on vacation, but you make sure he knows that he's not taking Keaton from us. Um, So we'll have have a conversation with Jared when he gets back from vacation. I'm just joking. But uh, uh, Wendy and Keaton is there. So you pray for him as he preaches to brothers and sisters there at Trinity. Uh, Also pray for Pastor Carl. Uh, He got a call to go preach at Springview um, Baptist Church there in Marable. And uh, Pastor Ben Ward, who was there, is, uh, has been exposed to COVID and dealing with some stuff, so pray for Pastor Carl as he comes in uh, on a, a kind of late notice yesterday, he called me, and I surely appreciate Pastor Carl and encouragement he's been uh, to me, and to you guys to the church in this transition uh, and so uh, pray for those two uh, pray for my, uh, I got a buddy named David Hunter, I want you to be in prayer for him, he's seeking the Lord and want to follow the Lord and do right and so uh, pray for uh, Pray for this brother, David Hunter. Keep him in your prayers. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Uh, will be in verses 17. All the way into chapter 4, which is the final chapter in the book of Philippians. Hard to believe, but we're drawing to a close here shortly in, um, in, this, in this awesome book of joy. Joy is a fight for joy. Amen. And we have to fight for it. Uh, not with uh, physically, uh, uh, or I should say physically sometimes with our actions, not in, in a fist fight, but in disciplining discipline ourselves for godliness, pursuing the Lord with all our heart uh, and surrendering our ways uh, to him. And so you'll see the title on the back of your bulletin there, standing firm in a fallen wor- world, standing firm in a fallen world. Some people like headings. Some people like to know, so I've been trying to give you those through this book um, to help you just guide along uh, what the main point of each of my messages is, Lord willing, the main point of what Paul is teaching, and um, I want to stay committed to just expositional preaching, walk, walking through books of the scriptures that teach us what God wants us to know about him, about ourself, and, and how that applies um, to us here uh, in, our, in our life and in the life of the church here. So let's read this together. I'll read aloud you read along with me. Philippians chapter 3, 17 to chapter 4, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ their end is destruction their God is their belly and their glory and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time now that we get to come and continue to worship you. We get to worship you through your word, Lord. We thank you that your spirit is the one that illuminates and opens up our eyes to see the truth of your word and what you have to teach us. And so I pray that you would do that, Lord, that we would submit to you. So give us ears to hear and hearts to know you more, Lord. Turn our attention to you and our heart's affection so that we would listen well and that you then would lead us in the application of the truth and the truths that we're going to be exposed to this morning. Through your word, Lord, your word is true and it changes us as we look at it and think upon it and understand it. And so, Father, have your way this morning in a way that would cause us to go from here to lunch, Lord, throughout the rest of this day. If we, Lord, should you tarry, that we would stand firm thus in the Lord. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. 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 This morning we consider. Uh, the Apostle Paul's counsel to the church at Philippi to stand firm in the Lord. Uh, he's already charged them to stand firm. If you remember back in Philippians to stand firm in one uh, spirit, he says, if there is any encouragement, chapter two, verse one, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord And of one mind. uh, He's exhorted them to stand side by side. And to strive for the gospel. We've seen that. To to work together. and There's a partnership. And a togetherness here. At the church of Philippi. That Paul is exhorting the church. To to do and to be. And this is where joy will come from. And surrendering themselves. To the Lord. And so. This is what they are to do is to have faith in Christ, faith in the gospel, not worried about the opponents that they'll face. Right. You're going to face uh, enemies in this life, enemies of the gospel. You're going to face opponents of the gospel. But then they need not fear. They need not be scared and neither should we. So Jesus is the one thing that they must determine to run after and us as well. This is what Paul says. Exhorts them to do. And so I want us to consider that this morning. How to stand firm in a broken world. One thing we can all agree upon. We should. Is that this world is broken. Man. It, is, it is broken. By sin. And by men and women. Who are in the world now. Who have been broken by sin. And then act and live in ways. That exhibit their brokenness. And we all have family members that we know of and that are, are, are reaping the, the consequences of really bad decisions because of their brokenness. You see, the world is broken and we're born broken because of Adam's sin in the garden. And then we're raised by broken people. Is there any wonder why we are messed up as we are? Oh, no, it's not. We, there's, there's perfect understanding to to the scriptures gives us eyes to see why we're in the mess we are right it's because of sin in the garden but god had a plan i love what grant osborne says in his commentary just in preparing us for this section he says so far in this letter paul has developed four paradigms or models of christian behavior consider this here christ exemplifies humility he's laid this out in chapter 2 verses 5-11 to Timothy, love and compassion in chapter 2, 19 to 24. Epaphroditus exhibits perseverance and suffering in chapter 2, 25 to 30. And then Paul himself, steadfastness in the pursuit of Christ in chapter 3, 4 to 14. He now calls on his readers to follow in his footsteps. Here in verse 17, where we'll pick up this morning. And he, Osborne says, is contrasting these Christian role models with certain false teachers who are living for earthly things in verses 18 and 19. And then he concludes this section showing the importance of focusing on the heavenly realities in chapter 20, verse 21. And what I see as well is when you look in chapter four, verse one, Paul then says, therefore, and we all know what the therefore is therefore, right? Uh, it is to take us back to what he has already stated, right? Miss Trish, it's good to see you. We've been praying for Miss Trish, and she's home from the hospital, obviously, and here. Good to have you. Yeah. Sorry. You're... It's good. My thought got broke when I saw her. He's like, oh, I should have said hey to Miss Trish. I didn't see you. So, good to have you. Been praying for you. So, therefore, it takes us back. And so, Paul is then saying, which is the, the title of the sermon. Which I believe is the main point here. He's wanting them to stand firm in the Lord, to stand firm in a broken world. Well, how do we do that then? Right. That, that that was my thought this week. So how do we do that? We love. We all love how do things, right? Every sermon is not a how do sermon. We want sometimes we just they just tell me what to do, right? <laughs> you ever work with somebody and they are going through all the background stuff, of, you know. I Worked for an electrician earlier, and I was like, I mean, I understand. I don't understand what you're saying. Just show me how to put this receptacle in. Which wires go where? Right. <laughs> um, now I was young and immature, and what he was trying to do is giving me the background and the foundation that's going to help me understand how electricity is working. Uh, more so, you know. But when I was 17, I knew everything, right? Yeah. Um, just kidding. Didn't, and I don't now for sure. You realize that, don't you? Right. in your 20s, probably, yeah, I got, I got a pretty good idea how this thing works, yeah. right? I just know. I know life. I I, mean, I got it, right? Got it. In your 30s, there's a confusion that happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think in your 40s and 50s, you realize, right, I really don't know a whole lot of right. yeah. <laughs> But we need to be convinced of a few things, and that is what God's Word says, what it is, and what He says about us. So, I say all that to say, man, I believe Paul wants us to understand, God wants us to understand how to stand firm for him in a broken world for his glory. So how do we do this? Just a few things this morning. Praise the Lord, we got lunch. You can smell it. They've had those doors open. Smell it. We walked in here this morning, so it's going to be good. i invite you to stay and fellowship around the table with us for a meal. It'll be good. Number one, follow the godly examples that are before you. If you're going to stand firm, we're going to hold fast we need examples to follow look at what he says in verse 17 brothers enduring term, brothers these are his people join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us so he he elevates himself which sounds prideful follow the example you have in me but then also what you have seen in us so who is paul talking about here well we know from other scripture the greatest commentary on scripture. Y'all, have y'all ever got it? Know the greatest commentary on scripture? Yes, Mister Bills, hold it up. Scripture itself—that's exactly right. Scripture—that's a principle of Bible interpretation. Scripture interprets scripture very well. So, other passages, other epistles that Paul has written, he would say in, in uh, to the Corinthian church, First uh, Corinthians, I believe, in eleven, imitate me, verse one, as I imitate Christ, right? So we know Paul is not just elevating himself as the supreme example. For he's already given Christ as the example of humility. Christ's life has been a a, a dissension from glory. Taking on flesh. Humbling himself to the point of death. Even death on the cross we see in chapter 2. Verses 5 through 11. So we see he's the supreme example. But we see that then in Epaphroditus. I've already mentioned Timothy. And Paul, that's who the us are. And and what he's saying is, this is very similar in 1 1 Thessalonians as well, chapter 1, 6 and 7. Put this in my notes. As he tells the church at Thessalonica, he says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Affliction has happened there at the church at Thessalonica, but they received it with joy so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. So they were examples. 2 Timothy 2, 2-4, this is what he tells young Timothy. You then, my child, 2 Timothy 2, verses 2-4, through be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier gets entangled, gets himself entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him, to please the master, right? To please the Lord. And so we need people to, to, to imitate. Uh, this word here really has this idea of a blueprint, Right? When, when you're building a home now, you have blueprints laid out, right? Uh, maybe some of you may have built your own house. Maybe you drew up your own blueprints. You drew up your own drawings, right? But it's a blueprint that is then reproducible, that you're able to follow and imitate to the T so that what is on that paper is then what comes out on the land, right? And the house is being built. And so as Paul is imitating Christ and as Epaphroditus and Uh, and Timothy has provided examples and Christ, the supreme example, they are the blueprint. Christ is the blueprint in which and in whom we follow. But we need living examples now, Paul says. Right? Those to follow and to do what they do. So how is that happening? You see, the Christian life, one theologian has said, is a relay race in which we pass the baton to the next generation of teachers, the next generation of those that are uh, those imitators, right? So how are you doing in that? Are you growing and maturing in your faith so that you might not just live for yourself but for the glory of the Lord and for the example to others and to encourage them, hey, go this way, follow Christ, seek Him, and then your life is an example of that. Are you seeking to be an example for uh, others to follow that's a question to consider this morning so understand that understand that in order to stand firm you need to follow good examples that are before you what are the good examples that are before you you have them we have them here in this church right you need to seek those out young men seek out godly men who have an allegiance to one who is a, their focus is one thing this is what Paul talks about right one thing, not that I've already attained this, I'm already perfect, verse 12 of chapter three, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Our allegiance is to Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. May we be men and women of one thing, one focus, one devotion, one allegiance, our lives are committed to Christ and Christ alone. He is worthy. He is the king. And so, what does he do? Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then let us, let those of us who are mature, think this way. This is what mature men do, young men, young ladies. This is what godly women do. They press after one thing, and that's Christ, and to know him more. Okay? So that's who you imitate, that's who you follow. Now, we need to be aware of some things. That'd be great if it just stopped there. But we must go on. Verse 18: for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. If you're going to stand firm, you need to be aware that there are that there will be some that walk away. From the cross. What are you saying? There'll be those who walk away from Jesus. They'll stop following Jesus. Which will give evidence that they have never truly been born again. There's six warnings throughout the book of Hebrews. Highlighting this. Some of them are very confusing. I believe it's chapter 6 of Hebrews. It almost seems like they... It says they tasted of the heavenly gift. Right? They tasted of the Spirit. They give... There's evidence there initially, but what really shows is perseverance through a life committed to the Lordship of Jesus and Him alone. Unfortunately, I've got people in my life that I've seen running hard and run off the rails and deny the faith and are chasing worldly pursuits. And this is what is evidence of them. Paul says, for many. Who are these people? We don't particularly know for sure. In the context of what we've been going through, it could be the Judaizers. But it the, the, the text is leading us to think these are people who were with will. Yeah. These are people who were, were in the church that were walking with the believers there at the church of Philippi. These are people who were trusting Paul as an apostle and what he said. So he says, I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. So what's he saying? He's breaking my heart. This is crushing me. And it crushes us, it should, when they turn. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And then look at what happens. Because, well, look at the text. Their end is destruction. It begins with the end. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things number 1 it should break our hearts when people turn away from the lord should we seek them out absolutely we should seek them out said man don't turn from the cross stay following the cross you're not alone don't listen to the empty vain philosophies of this world and they are many there are many today that are vying for our uh, our allegiance and our attention Thinking this is the right way. Listen, the Bible forms our worldview. It forms how we live, how we act, and it alone. May we follow it. Consider the outcome of those who walk away from Christ. What is it? Their end is destruction. Paul goes on and says that their their God is their belly. This is another way for saying that it's not that they it's not that they really love a lot of food. Okay. He's it, that, it probably has something to tie it in with it, with like the Jewish dietary laws and different things. But it's more than that. Yeah. He's talking about the, the central desires of the world, the, the pleasures of the world, right? The desires of the flesh, sexual desires. All of this is encompassed right. in that their God is their belly. Yeah. What feels good is what they do. Have you heard that? Yeah. I just don't feel it. Listen. I've had conversations with many of you. Don't trust your feelings. Mm-hmm. Trust the truth. of The gospel. Amen. The gospel is what's true. It's the gospel that has saved us. Not what we have done. Or how emotional we were when we did it. Yeah. It's believing on Christ. Yeah. Will some be very emotional? Absolutely. That was an absolute trash wreck. Falled out weeping before the Lord. But not every, not every case is like that. Not every little kid when they trust Jesus. has the the understanding at that point, the gravity of their sin. They understand they're sinners. And they believe on Jesus. And guess what God says? That's salvation. They turn from that sin and they follow Him. They seek to grow in Him. As you grow and an older person comes to faith in Christ later in life and they've done some junk, right? More and more. Not that the sin of the little kid was any greater than the... No. But there's an understanding of the gravity and the depravity of man and his sin and her sin, and so those desires, those desires then end up to be their shame. They glory in their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. Right? I wish we could take some more time in here, and they with minds set on earthly things. Kent Hughes says, Beware of any pleasure that impedes the passionate pursuit of Christ. Mm -hmm. Read that again. Beware of any pleasure that impedes, that causes a problem in your life, that puts a roadblock in you pursuing Jesus. As I was thinking about that, reviewing during the Sunday school hours, praying, Um, if you don't see me, I've tried to slip around in some of the Sunday school rooms. Many times I'm in this little back room in here and just uh, reading over the text um, and praying. But I thought of this. I I didn't have this in your notes, but the writer of Hebrews says this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, remember chapter 11 of Hebrews is the the, the heroes of the faith, right? Those who had trusted the Lord before the cross, right? They were looking to the cross. We look back to the cross. Right? We're so blessed now. Therefore, since we're Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside, here it is, every weight. Every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What are you saying, pastors? Adam saying this. Let us lay aside every weight every hindrance, everything that impedes us. There are good things in life that is weighing us down. We gotta recognize what that is. It's not, it's not just to ask, is it a sin? That's shallow. Do we need to ask that? Yes, but we need to ask, what is holding me back from running well, right? We watched the Olympics, we talked about running, and now do you, they don't have a lot of junk on right? And and this, and I see them, they're running. They've got like dreads and stuff. I'm thinking, how much faster would some of these guys and ladies run if they didn't have all that hairline, right? No, they wear these really tight suits, and the man they, they can man, they're scorching right? They're running, but they don't got ankle weights on. They don't got a backpack on, right? They're not carrying things of the world. They're not wearing a bunch of jewelry on. Do you, you see what I'm saying? What. What is the weights in your life that's keeping you from running? That's a message in itself. So Paul's message to us is this. The way we live, the way we walk, our appetites, not just what we're got a little bit of thinking about here at lunch, but our appetites, our pleasures, our desires, the things which we revel, the set of our Disposition, the inner self, our inner disposition, all teller, tell, they're all telltale signs, whether we're Christian or not. Whether we are following Jesus or we're not. Paul, he had so much to say about just the nature of authentic faith, right? We read about this in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 10. Romans 3, 21, 22, 28, chapter 10. Verse 5 through 13. But he didn't say a word about faith here. Here lifestyle is revealed. And it reveals the authenticity. Of what you say you believe. It's It's the. It's not just the confession we say. We say we trust Christ. But then how are we functioning? How are we living? You see that gives authenticity. That gives that guy, that woman is the real deal. Right? That is seen over time and walking with the Lord. Right? Now, our sinful flesh, we I don't definitely don't want us to go from here, you know, we're putting glasses on, going, uh, that guy says he's walking with the Lord, but I'm not watching him, right? You no, know, no, the Lord does that, right? As brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to encourage one another and to press one another on. And as relationships are built, then be able to speak truth into one another's hearts that are hard, right? When we, when we call one another out lovingly, brother, are you, are you considering this? Right? Does this match up with the faith that has been handed down by the apostles to us in the scriptures? Those are hard conversations. And ones that must be taken prayerfully and lovingly. So, taking this warning to heart is essential if we're to stand firm. What is the warning? That some will fall away, right? Remember the disciples? Think back, that night in the upper room, one of you is going to betray me. What did they start doing? Oh gosh, you know, they start talking. Is it me? Who's he talking about? What's going on? Lord, examine our hearts. Do deep surgery within us. Change us, make us who you want us to be. Help us to persevere, to stand firm upon you. And so Paul moves from the negative, thinking about the enemies that walk away from the Lord. Look at the text and he he moves to the cross, to the heavenly realities of the cross. I got to go back to Philippians, not Hebrews. He says this. Therein, the enemies of the cross, their God is their belly, glory is in their shame, their mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So he moves from the enemies of the cross to the heavenly realities of the cross. To those who follow the cross. So remember this that our confidence, your confidence this morning, brother and sister in Christ, is not in how you feel or what you think, but what God's Word says. Our confidence is in the gospel, our confidence is what Jesus says and has done, and where He is at now. So we must, there you know, we must remember our citizenship. And it a, a, a translation that would be good here is a manner of life as citizens is what he's saying. This is what your life should be. we got to remember who we are. Right? We're not just characterized by what we do, but who we are first then determines what we do, how we live. we got to remember that we're first followers of Christ. We're not. And that has changed. It's been ripped off. Used to be to be an American meant most people were Christians. We are long removed from that, folks. Yeah. To be an American does not make you a Christian, right? Any more than me flying on an airplane across the ocean makes me a pilot, right? Just because I flew the the think I can fly that puppy, right? we got to remember who we are. That we are first of another polis, the word there, another city. Paul's talked about this. We're a part of another kingdom, you see. Wow. Our, the, the kingdom of the Lord is not of this world, but the kingdom has broke out into this world through the work of the gospel. And we're a part of that now. And so we need to live in such a way as our, 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 the, the heaven reality of us. We need to live in light of that. We need to live in light of our identity in Jesus and not oh, what the world says or what our old self says. So we need to remember who we are. And we need to remember that we eagerly wait for your Savior. We sang about that in a few of the songs this morning as well. We eagerly await a Savior. Not A, but v. the Savior. We eagerly wait our Savior. This is what Paul is saying here. Our citizenship is in heaven. For from it we await a Savior. Who is he? The Lord Jesus Christ. The title is the highest of all names already proclaimed in Christ's super exaltation back in chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Listen to what it says. Therefore, in the humiliation, in the condescension of Christ, coming down and taking on flesh, doing the work of God, it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, listen, no other name, The name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. The ultimate confession of the universe will be that Jesus, the Messiah, that he is Yahweh. He is the self-existent, self-sustaining one. The awesome God who created the heavens and the earth. The one who sets up kings and takes them down. This is what Isaiah saw in Isaiah 45, verse 5. Should have typed it out of my notes, but he says this. Isaiah records it down. I am the Lord. There is no other besides me. There is no God. There are no other gods. There is no other way. But through Christ alone, I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun, And from the west that there is none besides me. I am. I am. Yahweh is what he says. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Just read Isaiah 45, man. It is is good. I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens and I command all their hosts. For thus says the Lord, verse eighteen: Who created the heavens? He is God. He formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. Gotta get out, of Isaiah. He is the Savior. He is the Savior. Very similar to what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica. Listen to this: 1 Thessalonians chapter one, verse ten. I believe. Make sure I'm telling you right. Yes. He says this. I'll start verse nine. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, our Savior, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's what he came to do. When you boil down Christianity. Jesus came to deliver us from the wrath of God. And boy has he done it. He has done it. So we eagerly await this savior. Notice what is the outcome when he comes. Got to move on. He'll transform your body. He'll transform your body. Back to Philippians. He says this. We wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, the Savior is the Lord, He is Yahweh, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. A transformation that will happen. Christ's resurrected body, you can say, is the prototype of what is to come for those who follow Him. For those that He has saved. For those who He has awakened to see. 1 Corinthians 15, 49, just as we have been born the image of man of dust, we also bear the image of the man of heaven. Murray Harris writes in his classic study, Raised Immortal, he says this, Paul is saying then that in place of an earthly body that is always characterized by a physical decay, and we know, man, we're decaying, right? In dignity and weakness, the resurrected believer will have a heavenly body that is incapable of deterioration. Beautiful in form and appearance. And with, this is good, I like this one. Limitless energy and perfect health. Yeah, you <laughs> like energy levels dropping here lately, yeah. right? Yeah. Throwing the ball yesterday, me and Gibby, and then Ty. And uh, Gibby can tell you, man, I threw that ball kind of hard one time. I was like, oh, yeah. I haven't thrown football in a little while, right? Old shoulder. It's only a 43 year old shoulder. We'll watch Tom Brady. Somebody probably watch him tonight. Football or today. It's 44 out there slinging it. He will deteriorate though. Limitless energy and perfect health. Murray goes on and says. Once he experiences a resurrection. Once he experiences a resurrection transformation. Man will know perennial rejuvenation. (laughs) Since he will have a perfect vehicle. For God's deathless spirit. A body that is invariable, responsive to his transformed personality. That is so good. We're going to have a perfect body yeah. to live forever. Limitless energy. Perennial rejuvenation. That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. I love that. I'm not that good to put that all together. That's why I quote him. Man. The key to understanding verses 17 through 21 is what you're seeing, what are you hearing? Earthly and heavenly. And Paul's contrasting these two here. We're to be consumed by the future heavenly promises that are ours in Christ. Consumed not with earthly pleasures and attainments. That's what Paul has been saying, right? Don't focus on that. Focus on what is to come. Many many worldly Christians and the enemies and even false teachers, they talk about a... Uh, a Christianity that is, that is th- to please you, right? It's all about you. It's all about your health, your wealth, your prosperity. That's a lot. It's clear in verses 18 and 19 that that will never work. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 23, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. There will be those on the day of judgment that stand and he will say, depart from me. Workers of iniquity. Not everyone, right? Who call who says Jesus is Lord, right? No one who does, that's only given by the Spirit. But a life that is surrendered to Him. Not seeking to sin habitually, fighting sin each day. Nobody's gonna nobody's gonna enter heaven on their own merit. And there are those who will walk away here, and those that are fooling themselves. Only fools play games with their eternal destiny, for that is what is at stake, right? Are temporary pleasures worth giving up? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Temporary allegiance is worth giving up? Absolutely. Temporary attainment in this world? It's all temporary. The heavenly reality is coming, folks. It's broke out now into this world. But it is coming. And it is coming soon. Just like lunch. And we're on our last point. Remember that we have to stand firm in the gospel. I love what he says here as we, as we close up. Finally, brothers. Excuse me. Therefore, my brothers. I was in verse 8. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love. is just. Listen to the heart of Paul come out. Who I love and long for. Brothers, long for, beloved. Those three terms in particular there. One at the end, one at the beginning, and one in the middle. There's a longing for. They are his joy and his crown. You see, as I grow in being your pastor, you in a sense are my crown. For I'm giving my life to you. You're giving your life to me, right? In service of the Lord and for the glory of God. Who, has Robert read, I'm going to give an account for how i shepherded you and how i taught you God's word. Paul says, I love you, church. I love you. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. Your confidence is in Christ. Follow the examples that are laid out before you. And we have the supreme now, right? We can look to Paul as well. We can look to Timothy and Epaphroditus in the scriptures, but we should be able to look out within this faith family and see men who are sold out to Jesus, women who are sold out to Jesus, teenagers who are sold out to Jesus, little children to the best they can, sold out to Jesus, trusting Him, following Him, seeking to grow in Him. Who is the crown upon your head? Who have you passed the word and are passing the word of God on to? A son or daughter? Maybe somebody you've witnessed to. Maybe a, a, a Bible study group, small group that you've led for years, colleague at work. Since they've received the gospel from you, do you see them as your crown? Can you give thanks to them and for, for them, excuse me, for their faith? Paul speaks directly to the Philippians in this way, right? In this way, he wants them to consider these things. I close with this. Paul, needs to, Paul is wanting them to understand and for us to understand as well that all of this is in, in the context of spiritual warfare, right? There's a battle going on, man. There's a battle going on. They need to understand they're in a warfare and they are to be positioned like soldiers on a front line. Right? That are prepared. No soldier goes into battle in the United States of America that are not trained and prepared. the best fighting army on the planet. The men and women are prepared. And they go in there. Not shaking in their boots, but confident in the plan that's laid out before them. And we do the same. And Paul is saying in order to do that, in order to, to hold the front line, In order to stand firm, they must hold their position in the midst of a godless culture. They must not compromise over the gospel. They must not collapse under the pressure of persecution. They must never retreat and yield the high ground of divine truth. Don't care what you feel or what you think. God's word is the standard. No other other religion, no other way has what we have in Christianity. And it's not, yes, we interpret it, but we interpret the scriptures in light of those who've gone before, in light of uh, church history, and what the the early church fathers, the apostles believed and passed down. That's what we have to bring our thinking in the midst of a broken culture and a self-centered culture into line with. And let me tell you, that is going to be like fingernails on a chalkboard. It's going to sound weird. Not because we're... Not because we're a bunch of boneheads, right? Not because we're arrogant and loud beating people over the head with the Bible. No, we're standing for truth and love, man. This is what it says right here. Not yelling at people and protesting in violence, right? But no, we have to stand. And we don't stand just in voice, but in life, in our daily actions. So never collapse under the pressure of persecution. They must not go AWOL and flee from the battlefield. They must stand firm in what they have been taught. They must remain steadfast. Where? In the Lord. In Christ. In the Lord. This is what he says. Not in traditions, not in natural human ways. But rather they must hold their ground in the Lord. In truth and the resources that God has provided. What has He provided? all that we need for life and godliness. His word is the standard. His word is what we look to. This is what we believe. This is what shares and clarifies for where our identity is. And they can only stand firm as they're reliant upon the Lord. And if they're to stand for the Lord, and if we're to stand for the Lord, we must stand upon His truth. We must stand upon the word of God. And that's the same for us. We're going to face many challenges. As a church, in this area, we're going to face those challenges. We're going to face them internally. We're going to face them within and without. And we've got to hold the line. We've got to hold the position. We've got to trust in Christ and follow Him. So this is my prayer. May we as the body of Christ, may I, this needs to be your prayer. May you provide others an example to an example to follow. May our lives, and may the lives of excuse me, the lives of our enemies of the cross be cause for tears. May it break our heart. May we have a heart of compassion. We're going to talk about that tonight in Jonah as we wrap up the book of Jonah. May the wonders of your and my citizenship. Cause us to dance and sing and live, right? In the light of that joy of who we are in Christ. And may you stand firm in your pursuit of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'd like Jerry and him to come and get a song just a response as we worship the Lord together. This is what we're to do. We're we going to stand firm. We need to look unto the Lord, look unto the examples that He has given. Our confidence is in the cross, right? Realize those will fall away. It should break our heart. We should seek brothers, sisters out and say, man, get back in here. Look around here this morning. I know there's folks in the parking lot, but when we get through this whole mess, Lord willing, with COVID and all, man, get in here with us. Get in here with us. Not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, but in life, right? Uh, Our attendance is in one way indicative of where our heart is, right? We should want to be here. You want to be with people. We should be seeking those brothers and sisters out, right? Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing sing together.